thankful that you are here today and thankful that we can gather in this time. My name is Chris, uh, one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, today we have the opportunity to jump into a new series and a new book, and that is the Gospel According to Mark. We're going to be spending today and the next 11 Sundays walking through this gospel. Uh, we're going to have... Uh, uh, Really the heartbeat of this is discipleship of what it means to follow Jesus and how uh, Mark paints this picture. So I wanna invite you to turn to Mark chapter one. We're gonna look at that. We're gonna look at a few other passages in Mark. <clears throat> and then for those of you that wanna read ahead of what we're gonna be talking about next week, we're gonna be in Mark one, verse 21 through uh, chapter three, verse 12. We're gonna be in that range so you can read through that and get a head start there. And so I'm going to be taking you through the first uh, six weeks of this series, this 12-week series, and then the last six weeks, others are going to guide you through that because um, for those of you who read the newsletter, how many of you read the newsletter? This is the time. All right. Yes. So you know, and some of you others may know, is I am taking a sabbatical this summer, and so I am going to be gone for five weeks, which means that I'm not here, uh, I'm not aware of what's going on. It is a time of rest and refreshment and renewal for me, and it's also really good for you uh, as the church. And so we've got uh, a plan all set in place uh, for what that's going to look like for you, and, uh, and we'll make sure everything is covered. And uh, so I'm very, very thankful for that. And as I told First Service last week, is that I will miss you more than you'll miss me. Uh, so uh, we will, I will make it through it, and you will as well. But I'm just really thankful, and it was uh, completely a God uh, ordained reality because when I began in the lead pastor role just over five years ago, I asked for a sabbatical, not knowing uh, what the last five years would hold. And uh, with COVID and with a number of other things, uh, I just got to this point. And, and as I said in the newsletter, I'm tired, like tired in every possible way. And so I'd appreciate your prayer uh, for renewal, uh, spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, uh, and uh, with God and with my family and just uh, self as well. And so um, I'm just uh, thankful that we have this opportunity and I have this opportunity this summer. And you're also gonna notice maybe in my voice uh, some cold. I've got like this head cold going on, so I apologize if I, um, <clears throat> my voice cracks, which it did in first service. Uh, that was quite fun. Uh, or if I have to cough. But we will make it through this here today. And so... Um, Something that I have here in the notes is sabbaticals start July 17th and go through August 21st, so these last six weeks of this series here. But we're talking about Mark today. This is where we're at. And uh, so the Gospel According to Mark. This is one of the earliest New Testament books written. Uh, depends on who you read. It was written somewhere between 50 and 70 AD, and it was written by Mark, also known as John Mark. Uh, he was a scribe for Peter. John Mark did not meet Jesus. He was not a disciple but he knew Peter, who was a disciple. And he worked for Peter, he was a scribe, he wrote. And so he took Peter's perspective along with others, and we have the gospel according to Mark. He was also a co-worker of Paul and Barnabas. He went on the first missionary journey with them, uh, had some conflict about the second one, didn't go that time, uh, but he served with them as well. So he has some, uh, the relationship and connection to the writings of Paul and the teaching of Paul as well. Mark was written to Roman Gentiles. Uh, whereas Matthew was written to a Jewish audience, so you have a lot of Old Testament history, certain language used in Matthew. Mark is written towards Gentiles, towards the Romans. 
And this was during a heavy time of persecution. Actually, there was some heavy persecution, a lull, a pause in it, and then more persecution. Started with Emperor Claudius, um, and then Nero had some like decent reign for a while, and then that just went downhill really quick, and he persecuted a lot of Christians. And so Mark is written during this time frame. And so we see in the style and the writing of it uh, the, the fact that this is going on. And he writes this in Mark chapter 8. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, this is a book about discipleship, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So he's saying, hey, if you're looking for comfort and power and prestige and, and all the, the, the praise, that's not what this is about. You gotta deny yourself and take up your cross and, and follow me, Jesus said. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit the soul? And so realizing that the church, like the church today, like us today, we have this temptation to assimilate to the world, to, to fall into the ways of the world and, and just look like everyone else. But what Jesus is saying, hey, what good is it if you gain the whole world, all the praise, all the, the popularity, all of this, but yet you forfeit your soul? See, and this is the challenge that you're facing as a disciple then and, and now. The book of Mark is written in a very fast-paced uh, manner that uh, there's only 16 chapters in this. Uh, Mark very intentionally tell short stories. We're going to read part of it, and you're going to see how quickly he goes. Uh, there's only 16 chapters, whereas Matthew has 28 chapters. Uh, Luke has 24. John has 21. And then there is a word that is used 41 different times in Mark, and that word is the word euthus. Say euthus. You had a little bit more enthusiasm than first service. Let's try that again. Euthus. So he uses this word 41 times, and what this means is immediately or at once or after. It is this transition word where he's going to tell a story and then transition to something else. Tell a story, transition to something else. And so there's this quick movement that's going on. And Mark is not a history book. It is not a biography of Jesus. It is rather a message of salvation. This is the point that Mark is getting at, is that he's proclaiming salvation through Jesus. It is an evangelical type of writing. And we see this in the very first verse. So if you have your Bible open to Mark chapter 1, we're going to see the thesis, the main point that Mark wants to drive home in the very first verse. He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is a huge statement here, is that gospel is good news about Jesus, the Messiah. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is also the Son of God. This is a large statement there. And so it gives this reminder, this footing, this encouragement to the church. It is also a pastoral letter. It's a story, a letter about, about how to be a follower of Jesus, how to be a disciple. And so in this book, there's instruction and direction about what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to think and to act like Jesus? We see Jesus modeled and, and we are encouraged to walk in that way as well. So let's look at chapter one of Mark, verse one. And we're gonna read the first 20 or so verses. 
beginning in verse one of chapter one. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He was a unique guy, right? How many of you had locusts and wild honey for breakfast today? No one? Okay. All right, and thank you for not coming in camel's hair and just a leather belt. So appreciate that as well. This was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water. We baptize with water. But there's something else that is happening that Jesus is doing. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John's saying, hey, like we had baptism here, this proclamation of following Jesus. But there's one coming, he's saying, who will baptize with the Spirit of God. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once, there's our word, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was uh, in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in a boat with a hired man and followed him. And so I hope you notice this quick pace already. This quick pace is that even within the first couple of verses, <clears throat> there's multiple stories that in other gospels are much longer. For example, Jesus in the wilderness was only two verses in this passage. He quickly tells his story. Yep, he went to the wilderness, the Spirit led him there, and then I'm gonna tell you something more. You're gonna feel this as we walk through this gospel. But what I want you also to notice is the life change that took place in these first couple verses. We see baptism. We see repentance, forgiveness, belief, a call to follow Jesus, a call to evangelism, leaving a previous life behind and going toward a new life. This call to follow Jesus is a radical refocusing of life. What it is not is here I am, I'm gonna take some Jesus and insert some Jesus into my life and then go on with who I am and, and what I want. Rather what it is is, is it's the story of taking off the old and putting on the new. That my identity is first and foremost found in Jesus and Jesus shapes who I am, how I think, 
the words I say, what I do in every possible way. Paul said it this way, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone, the new is here. So following Jesus, according to Mark and also Paul, is like hitting a reset button. When we encounter the risen Savior, it is this reset button we hit. Paul said it this way in Philippians. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So he's talking about this righteousness and, and this old being put aside, and he says, that was all garbage. I'm in Christ. I have been transformed. But how does this happen? Well, Mark explains this in verse four that we read in chapter one. He said there's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In verse 14, it says that we're to repent and believe the good news. Now, repentance is a really hard thing. We don't like it. We're okay, some of us, most of us probably, is saying, I'm sorry. Maybe it's a little bit harder to ask for forgiveness, but repentance is something radically different than just saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Repentance is this change. Repentance is the Greek word metanoia, which means this. It means a complete change of mind, a new direction of will, an altered purpose of life. Is that I was going this way, I met Jesus, now I'm following him. It is leaving the old behind. It's leaving pride behind, self-assurance behind, uh, personal success, self-will. It's leaving all of these things behind. It is leaving envy and jealousy and gossip and anger and covetousness and laziness and lust behind. That's the old self. And I'm putting on Jesus and being transformed. It's this change of mind, this change of direction, this altered purpose of life. It is not just simply, I'm sorry, forgive me, and then I continue forward. It is a change in where I'm going. That's why Jesus said something a few verses later after he called us to repent. In verse 17, he says this. He says, come, follow me. He's saying, repent, but you need to follow me. This is the sign of repentance. Are you following me? And then Jesus said, I have a mission for you. I'm gonna send you out to fish for people. Now that is an odd image, yes. But we're not like out there with a, you know, rod. Is that we're out there doing what Jesus was doing, what John the Baptist is doing, is proclaiming Jesus as Lord, proclaiming the, the transformation, the good news, the opportunity of repentance. <clears throat> but it means to follow him. Come and follow me. In this passage, we witness the change of direction, not only in heart, but in life of Simon and Andrew who were with their nets. They were casting their nets. They were fishing. We also saw, too, in what we read this morning, James and John, sons of Zebedee, they were fishing with their father. Jesus says, come follow me. And they're like, bye, Dad. And it says they left them to follow Jesus. And so for the next 11 weeks, we're gonna see this again and again and again, is this demonstration of leaving the old behind and following Jesus. 
We're going to see Jesus encounter and meet many people whose lives are transformed by that encounter. And this repentance and following and this call to discipleship. I'm going to invite you to turn to chapter 10 in Mark. I want to glance at a passage there as we have some of these thoughts in mind and we're framing these next few weeks. We're going to once again, <clears throat> there it was, right there. I told you it was going to happen. <laughs> we can see if we'll do it twice today, <clears throat> or three times today. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> All right, in Mark 10, we meet James and John again. These are the same two that left their father fishing. And at this point, it's probably been about two years of walking with Jesus, two years of intense discipleship, two years of being near the Messiah. I mean, we often say, like, if we could just get some time with Jesus, we would have such clarity, we would grow so much. These two had probably these two years. And I want you to notice their formation was still happening. And so if you are at a place where, you're like, I've just followed Jesus for the longest of time and I still feel immature, you can relate to this. If you've just started following Jesus, and you're like, I have so much more growth to go, you can relate to this. Like, I relate to this because there's so much more. And so don't be discouraged. I want you to be encouraged with the interaction here and what happens and how he moves forward with this. So verse 35 says, Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Parents, that is a total trap comment, right? <laughs> if you love me, mom and dad, will you do whatever I ask? No. I love Jesus' patience here. Patience here. In verse 36, he says, what do you want me to do for you? What a great question. I need to learn from that. What do you want me to do for you? Verse 37, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. And in this moment as readers, we're going like, oh, they're, they're not following what Jesus taught here. Like they're looking for power because they're still thinking that Jesus is gonna rule in this earthly way. He's gonna overthrow Rome. <clears throat> Verse 38, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. I love the confidence, although misplaced there, right? Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So Jesus gives this gentle correction. But it wasn't just James and John who missed the point. I believe it could have been all of the disciples here because of the next verse. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now we may read that going like, well, they were just mad because they asked such a ridiculous question of Jesus. But I wonder if these disciples weren't like, ah, we should have asked that question. They were looking for that power as well. Jesus calls a family meeting and he says, hey, we need to talk about some things. Verse 42 says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. What Jesus is saying, he's pointing to these earthly rulers who coerce and control and dominate, who exert their own self-will and power over other people to oppress and keep others away. And we too can be challenged by this passage. If we're in positions 
where we coerce or control or dominate, where it's about our own self-interest, our own self-protection at the cost of others. We're following an example of the world like Jesus is pointing out to the disciples, not following his. And we as followers of Jesus, we have to be different. We can't use the tools that we see unfolding around us every day, locally and globally. The way of Jesus is a radically different way. And Jesus points this out in verse 43. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your, what's the word? Servant. I don't want to be a servant. I want people to serve me. He says, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. This surrender. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's saying even Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, served, laid his life down as a ransom for others. And the word ransom is the Greek word litron, which means a payment or a release from some kind of bondage. What Jesus did by giving his life away, it freed us from the bondage of sin. And what we see in this passage here is, is yes, he's talking about this eternal freedom that comes through salvation. But there's also opportunities that we walk in every day where we have people around us are in all sorts of different types of bondage. Certain heavinesses, heavy, heaviness that people walk in. Past being renewed there. It, is, there's this bondage that maybe you walk in or others walk in. And so how do we lay our lives down like Jesus did, pointing to an ultimate hope found in Jesus? Jesus physically gave his life away for my forgiveness and your forgiveness. Mark points out the suffering that comes from this, this ransom to set others free. And so it is an eternal spiritual reality, the forgiveness of sin, the work on the cross, but it is also change in society around us as well. There is impact that happens not only eternally when we follow Jesus, when we walk in his ways, but there is impact in the world around us as well. So often we can just read scripture and pray and just think of this like disconnected reality of like I am doing the will of God by thinking of patience. When really the spirit of God is trying to work patience in our life at that really annoying person in your life. Like, oh, you're patient? You're developing that? Spend some time with this person. It plays out in life. You want kindness? Here's an opportunity to be kind. Love? Here's an opportunity to love. It's not just this disconnected spiritual reality we think about, but an opportunity every single day. It is here in Marshall and Olivet and Tecancha and Battle Creek and Springport and Albion and everywhere around us your home, your neighborhood, your workplace. Jesus was not just put on the cross because he was a nice guy. Jesus called for a radical upheaval, a change in the world around him. Whereas the people were saying, Caesar is Lord. Nope, Jesus is Lord. That is a radical clashing of the powers that be. It is an upheaval of what is known and, and people are walking in. Jesus called for people to, to care for one another, 
You think of all the one another's in Scripture, to love one another, to be patient with one another, to serve one another, so on. There's many of them. And why is this? Well, it's the Imago Dei, the image of God. Every single one of you carries the image of God with you. You are created in the image of God. And so is everyone outside of these walls. Everyone in your schools and workplaces and neighborhoods and the person you see on TV and the person you hear about, they're all made in the image of God. And every single person, Jesus laid his life down for them, sacrificed himself for them. What it means to be a disciple is, yes, to repent, to, to surrender your life, but some of that repentance is that we, we turn towards Jesus and we walk as he walked. I love how in 1 John 4, 20, it says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a what? Ouch. What? I said this before. Maybe you're like, eh, I don't hate that person or that group of people, but I really dislike them or they just annoy me. Same point. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. You can't love God and hate someone who has the image of God in them. See, this passage is, yes, Mark is, yes, a passage about, uh, a book about salvation, about this call to follow Jesus, but it is about transformation in the world around us, too. It's not just about a personal morality, but it's about a public reality. Go back to Mark 10, verse 45. <clears throat> For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then the very next verse, Mark tells a story because he wants us to notice how this plays out. Verse 46, then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus is walking with his disciples. He's been teaching them, right? We have the story about him talking about serving others. This is the type time for the disciples to put into action what they had learned at the family meeting, right? Jesus is like, here it is. They're gonna get it. They're gonna serve. They're gonna give their life away. They're, they're gonna set another person free. They're gonna meet a tangible need. This bondage is gonna be broken. The oppressed are gonna be set free. Verse 48. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Here's Bartimaeus saying, just listen to me, please. I'm a person. I have needs. I, I have this challenge in my life. I have cares. Please don't be like everyone else and push me aside. Please don't be like everyone else and reject me. Son of David, have mercy on me. There's people all around us crying out that same way. Have mercy on me. See me. Know my heart. Know my story. Care about me before you just push me off or reject me. Jesus, this is how Jesus responded to him. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man. And listen to what they said. They tried to like reverse the narrative here. Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. The disciples are like, whoops, we messed up. 
Here we go. Verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and did what? This was his moment of repentance. There was this faith in Jesus that Jesus can make a difference. He encountered Jesus. Jesus took the time where the disciples pushed him away and said, no, not you. No, no. Jesus did this, and he followed Jesus along the road. All sorts of change happened. There's faith that happened. There's physical healing that happened. And there was also a societal impact that happened as well. This man was no longer begging. He was no longer an outcast of society. He was now following Jesus, walking in this calling of life that he had. And he, I'm sure, impacted others as he told his story of meeting Jesus. The Gospel according to Mark. It's an evangelical story. It's a story of salvation. And it is a story of what it means to be a disciple when we encounter that salvation. It is a story of of repentance and redemption and ransom. It is the good news. It is good news. (coughs) Justin Martyr was born in the year 100. And he wrote these words shortly after Jesus lived. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. Why? Because of Christ. The gospel, the gospel, the true gospel here, it changes people, it changes society, it changes those who used to be enemies now call them brothers and sisters. It calls me to deny myself when I crave pleasure. It calls me to empty myself when I desire my own prestige. It calls me to be servant when I crave that power. As we will continue to see, Mark presents an individual, Jesus, who came to serve and suffer and give his life away and invites us to walk in the same path. We will again and again meet the Savior and be encouraged to repent, to believe, and to follow Jesus. And this repentance is is costly because as I said, it's not about like me stepping in and adding some Jesus into my life. It is me setting aside the old self. And in this repentance, walking in the way of Jesus. And there's hard things that you encounter when you walk with Jesus. There's beliefs and actions and thoughts and words and things that we do that we have to say in this moment of like, is this putting on Jesus or is this something else? It's examining the things that we're told and the, <clears throat> the, the, whatever it may be from people around us and saying, is this what Jesus taught? Is this the way of Jesus? Am I walking in this righteousness of Jesus? And it's hard because it's a denial of self. 
putting on the way of Jesus. As we wrap up, I want to share one more passage from Mark. Let's go to the very end of Mark in chapter 16. As we think about this, of this walking in the way of Jesus, we really have two responses. Each and every time we meet Jesus. <clears throat> You're going to notice at the end of Mark, I'm not exactly sure how your Bible is set up, but in mine, verses 9 through 20 are in italics. And there's a note in mine that says the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have these verses. Yours may say something similar to that. So what this is saying is that it's, it's there, but it's something to read noticing that it wasn't there in all the early manuscripts. But I want us to focus on verses one through eight as we wrap up today. Because the gospel according to Mark, it really ends abruptly in the text that we know for sure is there. I'm gonna read this. And this is after Jesus had died. We think about what it means to be a disciple and the paths we take. Chapter 16, verse one. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell the disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And so here's another moment where these two were walking. Their life was heading a certain direction as they thought Jesus had died. And they get to this tomb and it's this encounter through the words that he is risen, he's not here. What are they gonna do with this? What do we do with this message when we hear about the risen Savior Jesus? There's this opportunity, as it just says here, to go and to tell and to walk in his ways. We have that option. But then there's also the option of verse eight. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And I wonder what response we have as we will walk through Mark. When we continue to encounter the risen Savior, will it be he has risen? Or will it be fear and bewilderment and this like just I'm not telling anyone. This is our challenge as we walk with Jesus. This is our, our call. <clears throat> we question this every time we encounter Jesus. Will I go and tell or will I walk in fear? I pray that over the next number of weeks that we'll be strengthened and encouraged and challenged knowing that there is a Savior who walked before us and he gives us direction and opportunity. And I want you to think about walking out of here this one thing. <clears throat> what is that one thing that holds you back? Maybe that thing that, is, that causes trembling or bewilderment or, or, or fear. What is that one thing that holds you back from fully following Jesus? What is that? When I talk about putting the old self off and putting the new on and putting Jesus on, what is that one thing that you hold on to? What does it mean to surrender that 
to put that off. Something for you to pray about and to, to consider this week as you go. Would you join me in prayer? Merciful Father, Lord, I thank you for the day that you have given to us. I thank you for this new journey this summer that we will walk in together through the gospel according to Mark. Lord, I thank you for Jesus, for the message of salvation. Lord, for the call to follow after you. And I pray that each one of us would this summer take those steps to follow after you. Lord, today, whatever that thing is that, is that we're holding on to that's holding us back, God, that we would release that, we would surrender that to you. And as we walk through this week, God, that we would continue to walk with you. We would continue to follow you. Jesus, I thank you for the call of salvation, the call of discipleship. And Lord, today, if there's anyone here today that's not surrendered their life to you, that they, uh, just in, their, uh, in a simple prayer on their own, that they would tell you God, that they are a sinner, that they've been doing life on their own, and Lord, that they wanna walk with you. They confess that sin, and they receive your forgiveness today. God, I pray that you would work in this individual and in these individuals' lives. God, as they start to walk with you today. And for each one of us who's said yes to you at some point, Lord, that we would take that next step. Lord, for all of us, and for those that maybe just prayed a simple prayer today to say yes to you for the first time and those that we renewed, God, you would do a work in us and through us as we walk through this book, as we walk with you. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for this day, and we pray this in your name. Amen.